0: Last time uh, we met together and talked about him, we set up the stage for Elijah. Elijah, the story of Elijah, comes after King Saul, after King David, after Solomon. There's been a division in the kingdom, northern and southern kingdoms. Each kingdom was dealing with some major issues, and for the remaining life of both those kingdoms, they would each have a majority of bad kings. They would be bad. They would not serve the Lord. But primarily in this northern kingdom, It was just awful. They never seemed to have a glimmer of light there in the northern kingdom. It was just bad king after bad king after bad king. Seven kings after Solomon is the era in which we get to Elijah. I don't know why I said four. Five, 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 six, seven. Seven kings after uh, Solomon is when we get to Elijah. And it has been seven evil kings in a row. Let me let this sink into your minds for just a moment. I don't know what you feel about our current government situation, but I would all, I think we could all agree that if we went back seven presidents, Trump, Obama, George Washington Bush, Clinton, uh, George Washington Bush, what, what did I say? George W. Bush. I'm just talking about presidents. It's been one of those days, leave me alone. (laughs) Bill Clinton, uh, the other Bush, Reagan, Carter. I think if we look back through the, to you those know, seven presidents, I think we would say we've had some good presidents. We've had some presidents who may not have been quite as good. Some were effective leaders, some were not. Some were effective in some aspects, but let the ball drop in other aspects. But I want you to imagine seven, not just ineffective leaders, but imagine if we'd had seven presidents who served only to take advantage of, Of the people only to draw resources and to live off of the people seven presidents who led us far away from the Lord I don't think we're there I don't think we were like that I don't think we can look back at the past seven and say that that happened for us but in that northern kingdom it has been seven in a row who are turning the hearts away from God who are drawing the resources from the people to serve themselves and who are living evil lives. They're setting up false gods. They're building worship spaces to these false gods. And that's the story in which Elijah steps in. We get to the worst of the worst kings. His name is Ahab. Do you know how you know if a Bible character was a bad guy? Do you know how you know there's one foolproof way of knowing if a Bible character is a bad guy or bad girl? We don't name our kids after them, okay? So this king's name was Ahab. How many Ahabs do you know, aside from Moby Dick? How many Ahabs do you know? None. He was married to this lady named Jezebel. Who many, how, who many of you, how many of you have named your daughters or considered Jezebel at one portion? We just don't do it because like for us, we know those names connotate evil. These were bad people. And Ahab, the Bible tells us, was more evil than any king before him. He thought the sins of the previous kings were something to laugh about and that he could do it even worse. And he has set up the kingdom in a bad way. During these times of idolatry, when the evil kings would turn people's hearts away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they would turn them to the false gods, particularly this God named Baal and the God of Ashtoreth. And people would sacrifice their children to these false gods. They would go to the temples of these false gods to worship, and that worship involved engaging in sexual activities with prostitutes, temple prostitutes, and they would call it worship. And they would do things that are too terrible to describe. And Scripture says that under Ahab's reign, he was more evil than any king before him. So this is a very dark and terrible time of corruption. We're talking about major scandals, tremendous idol worship, and God said enough is enough. Interestingly, though, God didn't raise up an army to take a stand against the evil king. Instead, what God often does, He raises up one person who's willing to take a stand. One ray of hope in a world of darkness. It's almost like an epic movie that you'd think of. It couldn't get worse, and this one person is the person who stands up to say, this is not right. God works this way, and God may raise up one person today. God may want to do something very similar where we live. God may raise up one young person to take a stand in his or her class. God may raise up one high school graduate to be the leader in the next stage as you're at university, to not be, as I prayed earlier, drifted away or pulled by the influence of others, but rather to lead people to the heart of God. God may raise up a business leader to take a stand for integrity in a business that's lacking it. God may raise up one person to go into politics in their local community to take a stand for that which is true. God often raises up one person who can make a big difference. And last week we talked, or last time, we talked about Elijah's epic backstory. He didn't have one. He's just identified, do you remember? He just steps into the scene out of nowhere. He's just called Elijah from Tishbe. That's all we know about him. We don't know what it was like for him as a kid. We don't have this, the, the, the slideshow of the, of the images of him as a baby. We don't know what Elijah was like way back then. And we don't need to know. What we do need to know is that he wanted to serve the Lord and he steps in in front of the king to offer this word. I want to look at his name for just a moment. Elijah is a compound word. It's made up of three components. L, I, and Ja. It's all Hebrew. And if you put it together, what you get is El, which is Elohim, the name for God. Then that letter I, a personal pronoun, which means my. So God, my, and then Jah is another name for God. Jehovah. So his name means God is my God. The Lord is my God. How wonderful for his parents to have offered that prophecy over him as he was given that name. God is my God. Baal is not my God. God is my God. Ahab is not my God. God is my God. And so in he steps, in he steps. No command from God, no big revelation that we read about in Scripture, no angel who just shows up, just a guy who is doing what is right. And we looked at the book of James, the New Testament, where James reflects back on Elijah and says, Elijah committed himself to prayer. And he was just a man like you or me. But he committed himself to prayer and God worked in a big way. He just walks in in front of the king. And that's where we ended last week. Let's begin uh, our scripture reading this week by reflecting on this passage one more time. Would you read it with me? Now Elijah, who is from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Again, to put that into context, This would have been a major economic disaster in the agrarian culture in which these people live. This would be shut down. If we would bring it to our world, what it would mean if somebody offered a prophecy of this scale for us today, the prophecy would be, you can't get gas at the gas station. The bank's not going to lend any money and you can't get your own money out. You're not going to have electricity in your home. Life as you know it is going to change. There will be people starving to death. There will be unemployment. There will reach 50, 60, 70, 80% unemployment. People are going to be dying. And so this man of God stands before the evil king and offers this bold prophecy that he has been praying over. No more rain. What happens next is a bit surprising, I think. Because in our minds, we're probably thinking, okay, the battle is on. The man of God is going to stand strong. He's going to go into battle against Ahab. Let's see him fight. But instead, God does something different here. He takes Elijah, and he guides Elijah away from King Ahab into a season of hiding. And what we're going to see in this next bit out of chapter 17 of uh, this, this book, we're going to see Elijah removed for an extended period of time while God works on Elijah to form Elijah. Why? Because there's more that God wants to do through Elijah. Elijah's story is not over just with this proclamation. But before God can do the other things He wants to do with Elijah, God wants to do something in Elijah. He wants to change Elijah. All right, so here's the big idea. I put it up here as a bit of a math formula. All right? Through is greater than in. The ultimate purpose of us encountering God and asking him to do something in us is so that he can do something through us. We get a very selfish mindset when we show up at church And we pray, God, would you do something in my life? That's only half of the equation. What we should be praying is, God, would you do something in my life so that you can do something through my life? Because God doesn't just want to change you. He wants to work in you so that he can work in others through you. The story isn't singular to you. It is a story that is greater than you. So let God do something through you. I hope that's making some sort of sense this morning to you. God wants to do something in us so that he can do something through us. God wants to do something in Elijah so that he can do more through Elijah. And he's going to teach Elijah something in this next story as he pulls him into this time of seclusion. And what we're going to see is that God is going to shape him in a deep and profound way. It's almost as if God is saying, Elijah, there's so much more and you need to be ready. There's things that you need to learn here so that when these times come, you will be ready. The first thing that God teaches Elijah in verse 2 of chapter 17 is that God forms us. God forms him. God leads Elijah into a place of solitude and seclusion so that he can form us. Again, this is this concept that God wants to do something in us so that he can make us into the people he wants us to be for his service to others. We begin to read this in verse 2. Would you read with me? Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook, And eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside the Kareth Brook east of the Jordan. So this private season of hiding in solitude by the Kareth Brook, Kareth literally means the cut-off place. It's a low place and it's fascinating. Following God where he leads, following on in what is right, can result in us often finding ourselves in some low places. We can find ourselves in some troubling places. Some places that don't seem that great. For Elijah, his family is not here. His circle of friends is not here. It's just Elijah living in a cave by the Kareth Brook with some birds flying in every so often. (laughs) He's a crazy bird person. (laughs) Here in the Kareth Ravine, he's cut off. He's removed from what you and I would consider it to be a blessing. And it's as if God is saying, I'm going to take you through a season of breaking. I want to cut you down. I want to prune you back. I want to humble you. And I want to teach you in this season to be totally dependent on me. Elijah, I'm going to humble you privately before I use you publicly. I'm going to do... Something in you that's very, very deep so that later on you can do more than you ever thought possible. Taking you down privately so that I can use you publicly. Now I want to tell you today, I would much rather the Lord take me down privately so he can use me publicly than the Lord take me down publicly. I think you'd agree with that. So in this low time of seclusion, God is winnowing Elijah down to teach him something. And a lot of times people are in the Karath Ravine. You and I, we can enter into a season of pain or a season of trouble where we're asking, where is God? I'm in this low place right now. Nobody is around me. I seem so secluded and away from everything else. And the reality is, God is often right there present wanting to do something in you, a deep work in you. And some of you would say, man, I'm living in the Carith ravine right now. I'm broken. I'm being cut down. There are things that I used to depend on that I can no longer depend on. There are things that I used to know that I'm not sure about anymore. And God may want to say to you today, you need to understand, I want to do something in you in this season. There is a preparatory work that is going on in your life. I'm teaching you something so that you can learn another way. I'm doing this work in you so that I can do more through you. There may be something going on that we are perceiving to be a bad thing, but God may be using it to form us and shape it. Do we see, I think I've said this before to you all, do we see the troubles in our life as potentially being the hand of God wanting to form us and shape us? Can I tell you a story real quick? It's a story about a bird. It's a gross story. It's a sad story. And then it's a funny story, okay? Can you hang with me through that gross, funny, uh, or gross, sad, and funny? I'm gonna st- uh, this bird, he's getting a late start, flying south for the winter. There's an ice storm that comes as he's trying to make his way to a warmer cli- uh, climate. And the bird, as he's flying through the air in this ice storm, the ice begins to form around his feathers and he wi- and his wings, and he begins to uh, nose dive right down to the ground till he lands, splat, right in the middle of a field. He's shivering, his wings are covered with ice, and he's thinking to himself, I'm going to die out here in this field. A cow walks over. Some of you know what's about to happen. A cow walks over, stands right over tops of him, and a cow patty is formed that lands right on his head. And now the bird is thinking, well, now this is really the worst. I'm going to die out here. And I'm going to be covered in manure. Well, the warmth of the cow patty begins to melt the ice off the wings of the bird. And all of a sudden, the bird begins to realize, I might make it. I might live through this thing. And he begins to chirp. Yes, chirp, 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 yes, I'm going to break free. A cat hears the sound of the bird and runs over and eats the bird. There are three lessons from this story that we need to learn today. Lesson number one, everyone who drops manure on you may not be your enemy. Just because something's been dropped on you, they may not be your enemy. Lesson number two, everyone who digs you out is not necessarily your friend. Right? And lesson number three, when you're in manure, keep your big mouth shut. (laughs) God may want to use the crummy situations of your life to form you, and you may just be perceiving it the wrong way. There may be a lot of trouble and brokenness and cut-down times that you are walking through right now. Go to the Lord. Ask Him, Lord, form me in this time. Teach me something in this time do that? While he is there in the Kareth Ravine, and God is forming him, Elijah also sees how God provides. Elijah is totally dependent on God while he is here in this space. Because remember, there is nothing. There is a drought going on. Total and complete dependence where Elijah can't depend on anything at all but God's hand and God's hand alone. And in verse 6, we already read this, but let's look at it one more time. Read it with me. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. My dear wife is a right she like, I would be happy if the birds brought me bread. I could live on bread alone, I believe. I love it. Anybody like Jimmy John's? That's my favorite sub sandwich because of the bread. And do you know what else I like? You can go in there and order your Jimmy John's sandwich and ask for a loaf of day-old bread, and they will hand you this French baguette that didn't get turned into a sub yesterday, and you can eat that as a snack. It's a carb bomb, and it's so delicious. It costs 50 cents, and it's so good. I could live on bread alone. But Ashley, she's also got to have the meat that goes with it. And praise be to God in heaven, those birds go out and they find bread and meat every morning and every evening. They deliver them straight to the prophet. What was God doing here? God was very clearly and very distinctly saying that no matter what, Elijah, and for always, I will be faithful to you. You can count on me to provide for you. You're in a terrible place, but I want to provide for you. How many of you right now are in that season where there was something you used to trust in for your security and it's been taken away? It's not there. And you don't have anything else to rely on. You don't have anything else to trust in, but the giver of life and the giver of good things, Father in Heaven, says, I want you to learn to depend on Me. Can I tell you another stupid story? There's a single mom who knew about this very well. She would pray every day very loudly in her apartment that God would hear and provide for her and for her children. She lived next door to an atheist who hated hearing her prayers because the walls were very thin. But this woman would cry out to God. And she would worship God even through the lean times. And the atheist would come over and say, Lady, you're a fool. There is no God. And one week there was more mouths left than there was money. There was more month left than there was money. And the lady began to cry out to God, God, you've always provided for me. You've always been faithful. I know you'll come through again. God, please provide food for my family, for my children. And the atheist had had enough. And so he immediately went to the grocery store, bought several bags of food, and brought it back over to the woman's apartment, put it at her front door, rang the doorbell, and ran and hid in his apartment. The woman came out and she saw the bags of food there and she said, Oh, God in heaven, you are so good. Thank you for the way you have provided for me. This is wonderful. And the atheist jumped out and he said, You fool, there is no God. God didn't provide that for you. I did, just to prove to you that there is no God. And the woman began to worship God all the more. Thank you, she said. God, you not only provided for my needs, you made the devil pay for the bill. <laughs> Forever and always, God wants to say, I will be your provider. When you can't depend on what you used to depend on, I want to deliver for you. And what, here's the cool thing about this. Alright? When the birds, when these ravens are bringing the bread and the meat, they're doing it in the morning and the evening. They're not bringing a week's supply at a time. They're not bringing what Elijah needs for the next month. They're not even bringing what Elijah needs for the day. They're bringing what Elijah needs for the moment. They're bringing in the morning and in the evening just what he needs for the moment he is in. I want you to know that that is an attribute of God. God delivers to us just what we need when we need it. you rely on Him to deliver that to you? Through means that may seem absurd. Means that may seem crazy. Ravens bringing meat. Where are they getting this meat from? We may not want to know. But God is providing it. God is giving Elijah what he needs. He's teaching him. He's breaking him. He's cutting him. He's humbling him. He's teaching him total dependence. When he has no ability to provide for himself, God is saying to him, I will be the provider. Next week, the next story, and you can look it up right now if you want to or at least when you get home. The thing that happens after this, Elijah learned the lesson because something incredible happens. It's a wild story, but I won't preach that sermon right now. The third thing. So God forms, God provides, God guides. In verse 7, we already read, or I don't know if we read this one, but let's take a look at it. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. So sometime later, there's this extended period of time in this ravine. God's been providing, but all of a sudden, Elijah's water... Runs out and the ravens stop coming. Now, if you're like some of us, I'm going to point to Ashley again in here. Okay. Ashley does not like change. Right? My, I grew up in a home where my mom rearranged the furniture in the living room about two to three times a year. The couches would get rearranged. The whole feel of the room would change. Does anybody live like that? Any of you are like that? Okay, a handful of you back here. You like to rearrange and sort. That's totally cool. I love it. That's how I grew up. It was amazing. I can't live like that anymore, though. Because Ashley likes it. When it gets put there, that is where it's going to stay until it breaks, falls apart, gets rid of, the house burns down, whatever it is, that is where that couch is going to go, and it shall not be moved, right? (laughs) Who lives that way? Yeah, you're the majority, okay? My mom was weird, I suppose. All right? So you might ask God here, God, if you're Elijah, you might say, why are you changing the plans? You took me to this place, and now it's all running out. God, where are you? What was the purpose of me being here? You gave me water from this brook, and now the water dries up. Did I do something wrong? Are you telling me to go somewhere else? Did I miss you the first time? Am I hearing you, God? I don't quite understand. What is the source of this? What's happening here? Why the change? Well, God has more for Elijah to do. And He's not going to keep him in the Karath Ravine forever. There's the next place that God wants to take him. And for those of you who don't like change, God calls. And there may be the next place that He wants to take you. He may want to come in and rearrange the spiritual furniture in your life. He may want to move you on to something else to be used for something else. He may want to continue to develop you in a different place. And so God guides him to this next season. Let's read verses 8 and 9 together. Read it out loud with me. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Again, I don't want to get into next week right now, but it's one of the craziest stories in the Bible. But back to where we are. Why did this story happen? Why did God take Elijah to the Carith ravine where he had him humbled and cut down? Why did God take him through a difficult season of total dependence where he couldn't depend on anything but God Why did God call him to go up and go somewhere else? There was something God was wanting to teach Elijah along the way. I want to form you so that I can do something through you. I want to provide for you so you can always trust in me. I want to speak to you so that when I tell you where to go, you'll follow. God was using these things to shape him. Probably the best example of this that I can think of movie-wise is the 1980s classic, Karate Kid. That's right. Exactly. Daniel is being troubled by these other young people who know karate, and he does not. And he wants to learn. And so he goes and finds Mr. Miyagi and asks him to teach him. Would you teach me? And Miyagi agrees. And so Daniel shows up for his first lesson He's ready to learn karate. And Miyagi says, Yeah, Daniel son, paint the fence. And Daniel doesn't understand what is going on. And he's trying and he's no, 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 Daniel son, no, no, no. Hop, down. Up down. Up down. Daniel works for days on this. And then he has him paint the house. Gets done with those jobs and he goes to Miyagi and he says, "Okay, I'm, I'm ready. Let's do this." And Daniel oh, Danielson, "Sand the floor, sand, circle, circle." And Daniel's like, "Oh, just straight line." No, no, no. Circle, circle, circle. Sand the floor, Daniel. And Daniel sands the floor for days. The most popular one, Greg's already pointed out. He's all done. Okay, what's what's we're finally ready? No, no, no. Danielson, wax the car. Wax on. Wax off. Wax on. Wax off. And Daniel reaches this breakdown moment where he says to Miyagi, why are you doing this to me? I've painted your house. I've painted your fence. I've waxed your car. I've sanded your floors. Are we ever going to learn something here? What are you doing? And then it all comes together in the end. Let's take two minutes and enjoy some karate kids. Why does God take us through difficult seasons? Why does God do this to us? Maybe there's something He wants to teach us. Maybe He's doing something in us so that He can do something through us. Go to the Careth Ravine. God, why? Why that place? There's nothing there. get fed by ravens. What are you talking about? Brook dries up. It's time to move on. This was a place of safety. I've seen you provide here, God. I want you to call this moment back as we continue to talk about Elijah and see how God used these moments to form him make him so that he could work through Elijah. Let's stand and pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for the way that you teach us and remind us. And God, I just know that there are many in this room today who are journeying through a difficult season. And I could even broaden that out as we were reminded last week and say we as a church are journeying through a strange season. Why? Maybe there's something you want to teach us in this moment. Maybe you want to form us to use us Maybe as we were told last week, maybe you want to call us to do something for you. Maybe out of the barrenness, you want to bring something good. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. I pray that no matter the journey that they are going through, no matter the trouble that they may be facing, God, I pray that they would find the moment even today to speak with you and ask you the question, Lord, is there something you want to teach me? Is there something you want to show me? Is there a way that you want to develop so that you can use me? God, help us to remember our lives are not our own. We are so grateful for the way that you form us and you do things in us, but it's not just about us. You do it for us so that you can move through us into others. And God, we pray that we would impact others for the name of Jesus. Thank you for the people today who have journeyed through difficult seasons and have a story to share about how you made and molded and formed them in those times. God, would you use us as brothers and sisters in Christ to strengthen one another. It's in your wonderful name that we pray.